This is Stories with Amos. I'm Holly. Amos Campbell was an entrepreneur, candy maker, dreamer, as well as my late grandfather. And not least of all, he was quite the storyteller. Back in 2007, when I was still a teenager, I interviewed Amos with the intention of one day documenting his life in a biography. The two of us would sit down at a park with just him, myself, and a tape recorder. But now instead of using these recordings to write down the stories on his behalf, I decided to let Amos speak for himself on his very own podcast. Bear in mind, these are old stories taped on old cassettes with an old tape deck amid the background noise of a public park. The quality of these unedited, long-form recordings, and even some of Amos's word choice and storytelling, are byproducts of their time. So I apologize in advance for any parts of this that are difficult to listen to, occasionally in more ways than one. But with that aside, I hope you enjoy this collection of stories with Amos. Let's listen together to this chapter in Grandpa's life. About being a dad, well, I'll tell you, I had, Ollie, I think I had the world's best daddy myself. And, uh, I mean, he was a big, strong man and uh, worked hard. He was a real hard worker. And he had some uh, real kind of famous sayings and, because his dad was a good man, too. And he, uh, dad, and I think he got these from his dad. And one of the things that they would, that dad would say, it's not use that hurts a thing, it's abuse. You know, you can have a pair of shoes or a dress or what have you. You can wear it for a long time, but if you start to abuse it, don't take care of it. Don't wash it and iron it and so forth. Of course, today's clothes you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Or I, I know one of the things that he would talk about is our boots, that our shoes that we would wear. Because back then, whenever you had a pair of shoes and they'd go out so it was wet, uh, those shoes would soon fall off your feet, you know. But if you would put particles or uh, rubbers on or so forth, it would protect the shoes. So it wasn't the use that would hurt a thing, but it was abuse. And that's one of the things that Dad would say, yeah. Along with a lot of other different things, but he had such a great philosophy. And uh, uh, my daddy never drank at all in his life. In fact, I think there's only one time that I ever seen him even drink a beer. And we were building a house for miles over in Hubbard there. And his dad and brothers and all of those guys were up there. And uh, me and Frank and dad and I don't know who all went over there to help Miles. Because Miles built his house himself, you know. And we all went in there to help him build this house. And it was a hot day. And they had some cold beer there, which I, I didn't drink it, but, but Dad, he took one bottle. They asked him if he wanted any, and uh, Dad said, oh, yeah, just, and he tipped it up and took a couple of big swallows of it, and that was the only time that I ever seen my dad drinking. Of course, I've never seen him drunk or anything, but he was, he was a real, real good guy that I know whenever uh, when Mike was born, I was very young, and I, I was so pleased because I could visualize Mike being a teenager, and I wouldn't be too old, you know? 
I would be just about double a teenager, you know, and that we could do a lot of things. And I know we did do a lot of things together. And uh, Phil and I, when Phil was born, and, uh, uh, Phil was such, and he and I, uh, I used to call him, and he would call me Buddy. We called each other Buddies, you know. And uh, Becky, when she was born, of course, you know, uh, Mike was named after me, Michael, and after uh, my my mother's uncle Frank was his name, Uncle Frank. So uh, Mike's name is Michael Frank. And Phil, uh, we were going to call Phil Phyllis for no particular reason. Of course, back then you didn't know what the baby was until it got here. You know, we were hoping it was going to be a girl. So we were going to call him Phyllis. Uh, Lo and behold, the baby came, and it wasn't Phyllis. And uh, so your mother and uh, your grandmother and I talked about what to call him. And at that day, uh, Prince Philip and the queen, who is now the queen, arrived in our shores. And that was the day that Mike was born, you know. And it was on October, it was on Halloween day, and we were going to call uh, him Phyllis. So we decided that, well, since we were going to call him Phyllis, we'll call him Philip. And especially since that's the day that the, the king has arrived here in this country. Now, that didn't carry that much of a significance to the name. But then Becky, her name is not Becky. It's Sarah Elizabeth. Do you know why we call her Becky? Yeah. Well, my mother's name is Sarah Elizabeth. So we named Becky after my mother. And when my mother was uh, in high school, she was in a play. And in that play, she was Becky. And uh, uh, everybody after that, while she was in school, and even after that, my dad never... Her folks, everybody called her Becky. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, your grandmother and I thought, well, since we're naming her after her grandmother, Sarah Elizabeth, why we would name and call her Becky also. That's the reason we call her Becky. Yeah. Now then, uh, here comes Jeff along. Uh, and we just like that name, mm -hmm. Jeffrey. Uh, and of course, we call him Jeffrey Scott Campbell. Yeah. Uh, Janie, or uh, let me see, did I cover everybody but Janie? Yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, Phil, Becky, and Jeff. And uh, then, uh, first there was a reason that we called Jeff Scott. I, I think, I can't remember. I'll probably ask him. Yeah, he may know, yeah, he may know. But uh, Jeff is a good name, though. But uh, Janie, uh, my sister's name was Jane. Your grandmother had a sister by the name of Jane. And your grandmother's mother's name was Ella. So when Janie came along, we named her Ella Jane. So that's the way that came about. You know some of the stories... One of the stories that uh, uh, about Becky that 
I remember very well. Your uh, grandmother and her was in a uh, five and ten cent store there in uh, Columbiana. And, uh, you know, they, they were in there shopping and, you know, little Becky, uh, she was, oh, maybe five years old, four or five. And they were going around, uh, uh, Becky uh, was in the toys and she brought a little doll to her mother and said, let me, would you buy this for me? And, you know, and she said, no, you, you have enough dolls now. And they went around and Becky was kind of pouting, I guess, a little bit. And they were going up to the counter that we checked out and Becky pulled on her dress and she said, Mommy, you know, if I was the mommy and you was the little girl, I thought I'd buy that doll for you. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I know uh, with the boys, uh, Mike and Phil and uh, uh, Jeff, all of them, uh, uh, when we had the dry clean plant, and uh, they would come in there after school, and uh, they would have to make up hangers for us. And what what that was, they would just take a regular hanger, and then we had a piece of cardboard that you would put on it so you could hang a pair of pants over it. And... Uh, so they, uh, the, the, that was the boys' job, and I paid them, I don't know, a penny for every five pennies that they would make up like that. But it was just a way of teaching them that, they, you know, this is the way that you earn money. In fact, I'll tell you, Holly, I, I, would, I would almost imagine that uh, there was so much that I had learned from Isley's in business and how to manage people now, I was not a real good people person. I mean, uh, I, I became too angry too many. But uh, there was many things that I did learn. And I think that whenever you stop to think of uh, your dad and uh, Becky and uh, Mike, Phil, and Janie, all of them, I mean, and the business that goes on with all of those kids, you know, your dad and Mike, I mean, they're, you know, they're very successful business people. And, uh, and I think that probably a lot of that stemmed out from those years that I spent with Isley because I had learned so much, you know. And you don't get that kind of stuff out of a classroom. Although, when I run this store in, in Columbiana, at the Isley store, that Isley took us to a, uh, all of the stores all through the Youngstown area. Uh, they, they had a, uh, uh, seminar going on at a theater there in Butler, or in, uh, Youngstown that was put on by the Youngstown Chamber of Commerce. And they had a speaker at this, uh, these meetings, this seminar. And his name was Les Giblin. It was this guy's name. And uh, he had the seminar, and they filled the theater up. It was packed full of people. And uh, he was telling you how to be a salesperson, you know. And he he said, you know, the, you know the most important word in the world to you is Holly, is your name. And when you're talking to somebody, you should say their name to them different times because they like to hear it, Holly. You understand that, Holly? You, you, you know, you know what he's talking about. 
but uh, uh, anyhow, uh, he, he was telling us about different things on how to sell merchandise. And back in those days, that was in the 50s, you didn't have the, uh, uh, you didn't have supermarkets, but not like they are today. And in clothing stores, if you walked into a clothing store, like somebody came to wait on you to find out where you say, I want to dress. Then they would show you the dresses. You didn't go and look through a lot of dresses yourself. But uh, his whole thing was that whenever somebody came up to you as a salesperson, that you ought to get the merchandise into the customer's hands. Because when he's holding it, he feels possessive. Like it's his, you know. And that is the mark of a good salesperson, you know. So, you know, I'm in the food business. How do you get food into people's hands? So I went back and uh, we sold, in that store, we sold quite a bit of Swiss cheese. And I went back and uh, I, uh, we didn't have plastic then like you do today. But we had cellophane, which was clear. And if you take a piece of cheese and lay it on a piece of cellophane and then fold it up and then take a hot iron and you can pull it across the seam and it will kind of fuse it together there. So you have a nice piece of looking, nice looking piece of cheese in a hand, you know. Most people when they would come in and want a chunk of cheese, they'd all ask you, well, is it hard? You know, and, uh, so what we did, I, I ordered in a bunch of Swiss cheese, and uh, we would cut it up the night before Saturday, whenever they would have a Swiss cheese special on for 69 cents a pound, I remember. And uh, I, we would cut up a bunch of cheese, and we'd put it in cellophane, and then we'd wrap it up, and then we took table knives, and we'd put them on our grill, and we just... Uh, Labor and you know, across the seam on the on the uh, cellophane, and it would seal. And it was a nice looking piece of cheese, just like a lot of stuff you find today wrapped up, you know. So then, out on the counter, okay, right where the customers would come up, we would lay the Swiss cheese out there. And I mean, just a big pile of Swiss cheese. And when somebody would come in, I'd like to have a quart of milk, real good, hey. We have a special on Swiss cheese today. It's only 69 cents a pound. Here, feel how soft it is. They would take it in their hand. Okay, I'll buy this. Yeah. Uh, and I believe me, Holly, the next weekend I ordered in uh, a wheel of Swiss cheese, a whole wheel, which was 200 pounds. They were that big around. They don't make Swiss cheese like that anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was great. But you could roll it down the aisle, you know. And uh, I ordered in that big piece of Swiss cheese, and then I cut it in half, and I took half of it, and I cut it up and wrapped it in plastic, and I took the other half, and I laid it up in the counter. And then I piled Swiss cheese all around it. Lo and behold, we sold that whole thing that weekend. The next weekend, I ordered in five wheels of Swiss cheese to a thousand pounds of Swiss cheese. And I put tables out in the middle of the store. And I, I uh, cut up a whole wheel of Swiss cheese, 200 pounds of Swiss cheese. And I wrapped it up in plastic. And I took wheels of cheese 
I don't remember now if it was three or four wheels or big wheels, because most people have never seen that much Swiss cheese. And I piled it up on the table, and then I laid it across. Well, people were coming in there and just buying Swiss cheese like mad. And we would keep encouraged here to feel how soft it is, because we leave it laid overnight, and it wasn't quick. It would be nice and soft, you know? And uh, it was unbelievable. In fact, when I ordered that much Swiss cheese in, the assistant superintendent called me and said, Amos, what are you doing with all that Swiss cheese? I said, well, we're going to sell it. How are you going to sell it? And I told him how much we'd sold the week before and how much we'd sold the week before that. He said, do you think you can sell it? I said, I do. He said, well, you can send it back if you don't want to keep it. I said, no, I'm going to sell it. So I did. I kept it. We sold it. We sold as much Swiss cheese in that store. as Now, they had 150 company-owned stores. Uh, all of those other stores put together, we sold more Swiss cheese in the company-owned store. I mean, I was I was famous in those days. You know? uh-huh. uh, the... Uh, the, uh, the uh, Superintendent, the general manager, Geraldo Paulo. But somewhere, I still had that uh, that uh, telegram. He was in in Mexico, and he sent me a telegram congratulating me on my Swiss cheese sales. But uh, you know that, of course, that's part of where when I'm standing out there, you hold out your hand. Same idea. Yeah. Oh, hi, watch it yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, hi. And, and it is so true. In fact, I was standing, I don't like to go in there and say too much, you know, to you people. But I was standing in there and I was seeing all three of those, or I seen that they're a real nice Christmas tree. You have to put strawberries on there. Mm-hmm. Or if you had about five of those sitting up in there and just pile them high with strawberries. And then run a special on them too. Yeah. Of course, your dad doesn't like to run specials, you know. But but I think you could sell strawberries like <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. Now after Isley's, what did I do next? Well, I, I I run that store there in Columbia. I don't remember. It must have been five or six years. And then they come in to me there one day and they talked to me about the Institute and I said, yeah, I'd like to be, because that'd be a lot more money. That's what your Uncle Miles, he became a supervisor. That'd be a lot more money. So uh, I, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Well, before you can, before we make you supervisor, we would want you to go into Youngstown and manage one of our stores in there. Okay, which one would you want me to go to? And they said, well, we would like to have you, because, you, you know, I mean, after selling all that Swiss cheese, and our sales in that store, we were just number one in sales constantly, you know. And we were always having big increases over the year before. And it, it, it was just amazing. Of course, I had good help. And uh, and it was exciting to me, too, I mean, to do what I was doing. And I was young and really full of everything, you know. But uh, so I, I went into, uh, they said in Indianola Market Street, they wanted me to go in there and run that store. So now that store, the assistant superintendent had run at one time, was the manager. And he had been there 
And he had done a fantastic job there, you know. And things had kind of went downhill since he was in there. Now, the plant in the main office was right there in Youngstown, probably within a mile and a half of that stool. And so I went in there, and you know, every time somebody had a complaint, they wouldn't come to me and say anything about it. They would call the main office and complain. And then the main office would call me. And boy, the first thing I knew, I was really aggravated with what was going on, you know. And uh, I was, you know, I hired one guy there one time. Uh, I hired him to uh, stock for us and to sweep and scrub the floors and, and to do stuff like that. And you know how this, the, the stores were laid out with a counter and then with a back bar. And down at one end we had a, a deli case. And uh, behind that deli case we had a, uh, a safe. And now it was a two-way safe. Where whenever you, when we had too much money in the store, we would take it over there and shut it down the, the chute in the case, and nobody could get out of, get it out of there until the next morning. Uh, we would count it before we put it in there, and so that at night when we made our report out, we would know how much money we put out in there. But we always used a lot of change in that store, and we would buy, you know, we would have. Fifty, sixty, eighty dollars worth of quarters and some dollars worth of dimes, and we would uh, the the safe was like a two-way safe had a door on it, and we would keep all this change laying right in that door there, and we would turn the uh, close the safe, and then just turn the knob just a little bit that you couldn't open the safe back up, and nobody knew that except the assistant manager or the manager, and of course you know you trust people, anyhow. And uh, so, uh, uh, this this fellow that we had hired, uh, we sold a lot of milk, and those milk would come in big cases. And we had a cart that would hold two uh, rows of cases, and they would be up seven, eight feet high. Those cases would be, and he would pull those down there to the case of where he's going to stop the milk. And he'd open up the door, and now this was right on the other side of the of the safe. And he would, uh, well, before I get too far into that story, for months, not months, for weeks, I would come up short all time and time again, forty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollars at night. And I, I would check the register several times during the day. And I always knew how much change I had in the register in that safe. And so whenever I'm checking, I would just mark that figure down and count it out. And that was always right on. It would come at night. I would check it out. God, I would be $40, $50 short. I couldn't figure out to say me what has happened to that thing. And... So, but here this kid, what he was doing is he would pull that milk down there and then he would open up the, the, the down case was right here, the safe was right back here. And he would swing the door open on the deli case and the, the milk would be sitting here. 
nobody could get in there, and he was there in there by himself. And he would take the milk, and he would stuff, stuff the milk, and push nobody to be around. He would reach around there, and he knew how to open that safe up, and he would open up the safe, and he would take out three or four roll quarters and lay it back on the shelf. Now, what else he did, I mean, this kid was smart. And whenever he would come to work, Mr. Campbell, I had this watch, and I don't want to lose it, or I don't want nobody to steal it, and I don't want to wear it. What can I do with it? And I said, well, why don't you go ahead and lay it, just lay it by the safe in there behind. So what he would do is that he would take those quarters out, and he would lay it up there beside his watch, and then he would stalk the milk. And he'd close it up. He would do his other work and everything. First, I, I, I never kept track of how much money that was in there, other than I knew how much was taken out, but I never kind of checked that. Uh, but what he would do is the last thing before you get ready to go home. I would be saying, Mr. Campbell, I'm going to get my watch. Go in there and take his watch and take that change in. And it, I, I, I mean, he, he got two, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. And I, I mean, that, that was so exhausting. I mean, it, it just, you know, and of course, there were so many other problems there in the store. It wasn't like the store that I had a real nice group of help, honest and everything there back from the end. But anyhow, one day I went back into the office and uh, I called in, made an appointment with the, the uh, super, assistant superintendent. I told him, I said, Carl, I said, I'm sick and tired of that. I said, I want to go back to Indiana. To the region. Well, he says, uh, what's the matter? And I thought, the, the, it just, he said, well, don't you think you can do that? And I said, well, I said, he said, well, maybe we don't want you to go, go back to Columbiana. I said, well, I said, that's, that's all right. And we just have to leave then. Well, he said, we'll see what we can do. So they, uh, they took the man in Columbiana and you know, took him out of there and, uh, to another school, and then they brought me back in. I hope you enjoy this episode of Stories with Amos. This podcast series was produced and edited by my husband, Ian. Music arrangement also by Ian. Credit to Amos Campbell, our grandpa Jupy, for the original recordings. I'm so grateful to have these stories preserved in his beloved memory. I have been your host, Holly. Tune in to another episode of this limited series podcast as we explore these old recordings together with grandpa narrating the journey. Thank you for listening.